Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning, it's Pastor Julie, and we're um, continuing our Unbreakable series, um, and we are in Genesis chapter 41. We're going to read selected verses today, but I encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was hurriedly brought out of the dungeon. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not I. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile, and seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Then seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly and thin. Never had I seen such ugly ones in all the land of Egypt. The thin and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had done so, for they were still as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I fell asleep a second time, and I saw in my dream seven ears of grain, full and good, growing on one stalk, and seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouting after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. But when I told it to the magicians, there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, as are the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. After them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow, for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a man who is discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to befall the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you." Before the years of famine came, Joseph had two sons, whom Asenath, daughter of Potipharas, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The second he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. 
The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Week four in our Unbreakable series, following the life of Joseph, we began with Joseph's dreams and his life of being the favorite son, given a special robe, sometimes called the coat of many colors, and special privileges. His brothers resent his dreams of being in authority over them and end up selling him into slavery to get rid of him. Joseph lands in Egypt as a slave to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, and God blesses him so that he succeeds in all he does, becoming the man in charge of Potiphar's business and his household. But Potiphar's wife, feeling rejected, falsely accuses Joseph of attempted rape and he lands in prison. Then God blesses him with success there as well, and he finds himself in charge of the other prisoners. Two prisoners with him have dreams, and Joseph interprets them with stunning accuracy, giving the credit for that interpretation to God. The cupbearer to Pharaoh is one of those two prisoners, and although Joseph has pleaded with him to make his case of innocence to Pharaoh, he forgets Joseph, and Joseph remains in prison for two more years until Pharaoh has these dreams. At which point the cupbearer tells Pharaoh about him and his ability to interpret dreams. And this is where we find ourselves this morning as Joseph is finally freed from prison and his life is finally looking up. Now all this time we have borne witness to Joseph's unbreakable faith in God at the most trying times in his life. He couldn't see the future, but he did have those first dreams to hang on to. Yet even in his worst situations, he remained faithful to God, believing that God was with him, going ahead of him, and would ultimately vindicate him. We've also borne witness to God's unbreakable love for Joseph as he has blessed him even in the midst of injustice and tragedy brought on by the sins and crimes of others. This is a life-changing moment for Joseph as he finds himself free, freed from being a slave, freed from being a prisoner, and given authority over almost everyone, including those who had enslaved him falsely accused him, forgotten him, and may have even believed Joseph to be inconsequential. Well, look at him now. Do you think they'd want to try any of that again? My guess is probably not. They're more than likely wondering what Joseph will do with his new power. Will he seek revenge? That's an interesting question. So how do you think this one day in time made Joseph feel? Think about the times when things have not been going so well in your life, where you felt let down, left out, ignored, unfairly dealing with some crisis in your life, but then suddenly things start to look up and turn around. Maybe the cancer is in remission. Maybe the relationship gets back on track. Maybe somehow you receive money you weren't expecting to dig you out of that hole. Maybe the truth has prevailed and those lies someone told about you are now seen in a new light. How did you feel? What happens to our faith in those moments? See, we can often find ourselves struggling with faith in those bad times, thinking that God doesn't care, that he's abandoned us. Yet do we remember God in the good times? Are there deeper things at work in us and in the world when our dreams come true? How can our faith remain unbreakable in the good times as well as the bad How does our faith become the springboard for our response when life turns around? Now let's take a look at Joseph and how he responds to the events in this part of his story. See, we left Joseph in prison last week, forgotten by the cupbearer for two years. It isn't until this third set of dreams, now by the Pharaoh, that he remembers. And although we didn't read that part of this chapter, the cupbearer knows and confesses that he was at fault. And in some translations, it says... I remember my sin. 
Who knows if he truly believes he made a mistake or if he was just trying to get brownie points with Pharaoh. But he remembers and tells Pharaoh that Joseph knows how to interpret dreams. An historical sideline tells us that interpreting dreams was the realm of what were called magicians in those days. There were books and manuals with symbols in their meetings. It was sort of a science. Yet as far as, as, far as we know, Joseph did not have access to those manuals, and those that did could not interpret these dreams. Joseph is called up out of prison, and he is cleaned up like a good Egyptian and presented to Pharaoh, who asks him if he can truly interpret dreams. Now, stop for a minute and think about this moment. It has been 13 years since he was sold as a slave and arrived in Egypt. All that time, he has suffered injustice and one bad turn after another. He has been praying for this day for 13 years, and it has arrived. How would you react? How does Joseph respond? Does he applaud his own abilities? No. He gratefully gives credit to God. It is not I, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And at the same time, though, he's putting God on notice that he expects God to do what Joseph just said he would do. It is such a leap of faith. I don't know about you, but I often know God can do something, but I'm not sure I should even ask, or if I ask, that God will want to do what I ask. I know that I don't have the whole picture, that I don't always understand what God's will truly is, so how can I just jump up, raise my hand, and say, God will do this? I don't see this as a judgment on my level of faith, but my awareness that God won't always agree with what I ask, that it's the right thing to do. So I am in awe of Joseph in this moment. He is really telling God what needs to happen in this moment. But I truly see that he is doing that so God will get the glory. And that is humility and faith rolled into one. Joseph trusts that God is with him and in this moment will not fail him. Pharaoh sees him as a man full of the spirit of God. This spirit is leading Joseph into God's will for him but not just for him, as we will see later in the story. When we began this story, Joseph was only 17, had not had much experience of God and his faithfulness in his life. But as the last 13 years have unfolded, Joseph has seen time and time again that no matter what situation he found himself in, God was there, making a way to turn even the bad into good. And I believe that those dark times, seeing God's faithfulness, have given him the faith he needs in this moment, that God's unconditional love and faithfulness will still be there. So he invokes the Lord's name and gives credit to him even before God asks, acts. Is that how we respond to God's faithfulness? Do we have faith before something even happens, that God will remain faithful and do what is right? bring us out of the situation, provide what we need. Look back over your life. See those times God brought you out of those situations. But then look at all the good times and see how God acted in them as well. See, our faith can be strengthened in good times and bad if we just see how God is always working for our good. And just as expected, God comes through and gives Joseph the interpretation of those dreams. And he goes step by step through them both, revealing that they are actually the same dream as 
That's been the case for all three sets of the dreams in our story. But then he does something else. Not only does he interpret the dream, he boldly suggests a plan of action for Pharaoh in response to those dreams. It's not just enough to tell him what the dreams mean and that God will make them come true, but he uses all the management skills he has learned in the past 13 years to put together a plan, and he shares that plan with the one in charge. Now think about that for a moment. Pharaoh has just listened to this interpretation. That means coming devastation for his people. And where did this interpretation come from? A slave and a prisoner, a Hebrew, who says he speaks the words of his God, not one from Egypt. Joseph is banking on Pharaoh believing this interpretation is accurate and that he speaks the truth. Pharaoh also has to put some faith in Joseph's God. Many things have to work together for good at this point, and praise God, they do. Joseph has remained faithful even in the tough situations he's encountered in his life. And we will talk about how the will of God worked and all that in a future message. But through it all, God has been working in and through Joseph to prepare him for just this moment. He has found humility when he was so full of pride at the beginning of this story. He's learned that the only thing that mattered was his faith, and this faith helped him adapt to any situation. He's learned that the only one who will never leave him is God. He's seen the goodness of God firsthand and all the trials, the struggles, and the sinful acts of others that have caused him pain and suffering. He knows how to run a household and a prison, the importance of integrity, and has developed compassion for people who find themselves in similar situations. Now, maybe God didn't plan for Joseph to become a slave or a prisoner, but God was with him every step of the way and used every situation to help him grow, to develop the skills he would need when he was raised up instead of put down. This is that moment for Joseph. All he learned in and through the struggles as he remained faithful to God, as he walked with integrity, God was shaping him, giving him the tools he would need to rise above those challenges and come out a victor. And even now, as he finds himself facing a new life of freedom, he continues to be faithful to God, continues to give God the praise for all that's happening. He doesn't forget God when life is good. And the parallels are not hard to see at this moment. God is reversing all the wrong. Joseph, who had his robe that signified his favored status, ripped from him by his brothers, who had another garment used as a witness against him, now gets a new robe, a new status, that will be a witness to his unbreakable faith and God's unbreakable love through it all. Joseph, who was thrown into a pit at the beginning of the story, is now lifted from the pit and returned to freedom. Joseph's dreams are coming true as he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. God is making all things new for Joseph, and it is amazing to see. Joseph recognizes the moment and later names his children to celebrate what God has done. Manasseh, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Ephraim, God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. His faith has given him this powerful insight, this ability to see God's hand at work in his life 
making all things work out for good. What was wrong has been made right, and God is still good all the time. But what about us? How are things in our life right now? Are we still in prison? A prisoner to fear? Still a slave? A slave to sin? Tossed about by the circumstances of our lives? Have we made choices that have left us in a bad place? Have our lives taken a turn because of someone else's actions or decisions? How do we respond when things aren't going so well? Do we struggle to remember that God works for our good even in the terrible times of life? See, it is so easy to give up on our faith when we feel God has somehow left us in the pit. But then when life takes a good turn, what happens with our faith then? See, I remember watching some big award show like the Oscars or something, and one of the people who won an award said something that made my jaw drop open. She said, my winning this award has nothing to do with God or any other human being or other being. I did this all by myself. Well, she was an atheist after all, but the fact that she made sure people knew that this award, this ability had nothing to do with God or anyone else just made me cringe. But truth be told, we often say the same thing, just not in so many words and not so publicly. See, when, when our dreams come true, when we achieve that good life or even maybe just one of our goals, we often believe that somehow it was all our effort, all our skill and hard work, our own abilities and nothing else that got us there. We did it all by ourselves. And some of that is true. We need to have hard work, effort, skill, but we fail to give credit to God for our talents, for our being born in the place that allowed us the opportunities, the resources that we needed to get there, his presence with us, making the paths as smooth as possible, making even our worst circumstances turn into a learning opportunity to help us grow. Our faith in good times and bad can be shaky if we don't rely on God's goodness during the bad times and see his faithfulness in the good times. Joseph could have believed it was his own actions and talent that got him to be second in command of Egypt. And we will see what happens next because he continues to rely on God through it all, how God will continue to bless him. God has unbreakable love for each one of us too. God calls us to have unbreakable faith and uses both the good and bad times to reveal that great love. Romans 8.28 reminds us that God works everything for good for those who love him. This is one of the key lessons of Joseph's story, but it is our story too. God knows that sin threw all humanity into a pit, brought us to a place that was dark and lonely, enslaved us. So in his mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And when sin had stripped us of all our humanity, clothed us in rags, Jesus died for us, broke the power of sin, pulled us out of the pit and gave us a new robe, a new identity as a child of God. In our baptism, we die to our sin and rise to new life, dressed in the garment of salvation. 
God, through Christ, gives us power, maybe not over Egypt, but over sin and over death. And all we need is faith. Come out of the prison. Come out of the pit and rise to new life in Christ. This is all for you. Remember that God is working in and through you in all situations and give credit to God. Let the remembrance of what Christ has done for us all give us unbreakable faith in the God who has unbreakable love for each and every one of us. Amen.